It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs. Well, that's it. Got the map of the week. Adventures in art. Le Chadron Comatique. Oui, oui. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you are doing well. Thank you very much for listening. I want to say that last part again. Thank you very much for listening. I know that there are a lot of choices out there. I was just talking last week about the millions of YouTube channels, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of podcasts, all these different choices. And here you are listening to Little Old Froth. So I really do appreciate it. We are back around again to Wednesday. That means it is time for another Hump Day RPG show. I'm going to be sharing all the cool DIY RPG stuff I noticed over the week. Blogs, zines, maps, free stuff, tons of stuff. And if you're if your first time listening, the whole idea is I'm going to be throwing dozens and dozens of links at you. You don't have to try to write it down and swerve off the side of the road. Any of that, you just go over to the Thought Eater blog, and I'll have all these links in order as I mention them. Just Google Thought Eater blog. If you're a blogger while you're at it, why not add me to your blog roll? Uh, that is a great way to support other bloggers. I'm always checking out people's blog rolls, looking for stuff I might have not seen before. And if you want to support the program in other ways, you can go to my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. Throw a dollar in the tip jar. You can back the show for as little as a dollar a month. So big show today. As you might imagine, we're kind of over the hump in uh, the month of February. So a little over halfway through Zine Quest 3, which is still rolling. So got a bunch of Zine stuff to talk about, including an, another interview. You know, I've had a lot of creators on over the last few weeks. And I've got Olabosk on, who is working with Jacob Hurst of Swordfish Islands fame on a project, Trash Planet Epsilon 5, 5, 5. So Olabosk joins the club and tells us what that's all about. So we got that to look forward to and all the usual features and everything else. But first, got a couple of messages we're going to get to, including one that's really special. I'm going to save that kind of for last. Of course, every message is special. Don't get me wrong. But something, uh, kind of a, a special treat, I think, that my listeners will enjoy. Uh, if you want to join the program, like you're, you'll be hearing folks calling in, all you do is go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. And there's a little message button there. You can do it on your phone or on your desktop. Click the button, leave me a little message, and I will play it on the show. So first, we have got Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Jason has famously learned more, you know, knows more about RPGs than Froth will ever learn. Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, supporter of the show and frequent caller. They are calling in about last week's Five Minute Friday episode. Now, if you listen to this show, you know that it's long. P 
people might split it up into two or three servings. People might listen to me at double speed. So I'm talking like this. Don't blame them. It's a lot of show. Stretch it out. Don't try to take it on all at once. Like eating a huge pizza by yourself or something. It's not a good idea. But on Fridays, I do a five-minute Friday show, which is kind of like the after-dinner mint or the chaser to this show. Really brief. Just kind of throw an idea out there and, you know, kind of like throw out the fishing hook and seeing what bites. Well, last week I was talking about a cool post over at the Raven Croaking blog to do with creating magic items, which for me is kind of a self-identified weak spot in my GMing, my fantasy GMing. So anyway, there were some cool ideas. I got a call from Jason on that. Let's listen. Hey, Froth, Jason here. Great five-minute Friday on magic items. Those are wonderful rules. I'm definitely going to go check up that out and then add that to my repertoire that's a great way to create magic items the other thing i like to do is to pull magic items from other games so is it you know instead of just making a new one you go to other games or other game supplements and pull things over i like to do that for adventures and and other things as well you know source other games that are similar like when i ran a, a mythic greece game i went and sourced every mythic greece game i get my hand hands on you know, even if they're a totally different system, to get ideas and items and things like that. So pulling magic items from other games and just, re you know, and, and then just fixing them to the mechanics of your game, I think is a great way to go. But wonderful show. Great job. Look forward to the next one. Jason, thanks for the call. Great to hear from you and great advice. Yes. Just, uh, just taking, taking a magic item directly from another game. <clears throat> Great idea. You know what's good for that? Uh, is latter-day Gygax and Arneson stuff. Like I, uh, I did kind of a read-through of Arneson's Adventures in Fantasy a while back. And Gygax, uh, uh, Gygax's Mythos, Dangerous Journeys game. Uh, both of these games are... I would refer to them, I would call them unplayable, all right? I'm sure that some people have played them. Now, there is a version of Mythos called Mythos Prime that is kind of stripped down, that is easier to get a handle on. I guess I would say maybe Adventures in Fantasy is unplayable, but, I, you know, I'm not going to argue with anybody. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but th they still have great flavor, you know? Um Mythos is basically just really, really complex, I guess. Um, uh, so th that's kind of what, you know, affects the playability. But anyway, they're both great for going and just stealing a magic item and just taking it straight into your game. Uh, they still had all that creativity and everything. There's a lot of items that don't have an exact analog in D&D &D or whatever. You can just take them and steal them and avoid actually playing them. Nah, I still... I still like them. They have value to me as curiosities and something to read, but uh, don't think you'll see me, you know, cranking up a uh, a dangerous journeys campaign anytime soon. Let's put it that way. But anyway, great call. Thank you, Jason. Next, we heard from Goblin Cinchman talking a little bit about uh, the random table stuff from last week, 
where I think I was over at Duncan Thompson's Rand Roll blog, great blog devoted to random tables. And they had some tables using, instead of just one dice, there were like combinations of dice, D8 plus a D12 and stuff like that. So that got Goblin's Henchman thinking about probability. And so we're going to listen to that. And I've also got a link up that they mentioned over to their Goblin's Henchman blog called Taming the Bell. Take it away, Henchman. Hi, Froth. Goblin's Henchman here. So first up, thanks very much for doing another great show. Uh, all the work you do putting that together. So when I was listening to the show, um, well, I was going to say one thing jumped out at me, but two things did. One was obviously Play the Compass 2, um, but the thing that kind of inter interested me was you you remarked um, when re when rolling on a non-lethal encounters in the mountains table that the author had suggested odd combination of dice. They were using D12 and a D8. Um, well, I actually did write a blog post about this once. Um, and there is indeed method to the author's madness. Um, essentially, um, when you use dice that are split like that, it gives you a much broader probability profile in the midsection than if you just use, say, 2d10. So um, if that's of interest to you, <laughs> it's not everyone's interest, I know, but uh, you can check out my blog post. Um, oh, gosh. That uh, tricky anchor one-minute limit, I was um, about to say... I think my blog post about this subject was called um, something like Taming the Bell, uh, Making Probability Tables More Swingish. Um, I, think, I think it is an interesting idea um, how, how you can manipulate um, outcomes uh, from probability tables simply by using mis mismatched dice. But uh, as, as I think I was indicating, it's certainly not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but if that's an interest of you, interest to you, you can always check it out. For example, just to be quick on this, if you look in the back of Monster Manual 2, they suggest a D8 and a D12, not 2D20s, as you might expect for a random table that runs 2 to 20. And again, I don't think that was an accident. Uh, they wanted some encounters to be more the same than too spiky in the middle. Okay, cheers, bye. Great to hear from Goblin's Henchman there. Like I said, I've got uh, that link up that they mentioned, and if you could not infer it from what they said during the call, they are also a contributor on the recently concluded Kickstarter for Planar Compass. I had the creators on the show a couple weeks ago. Great conversation, so congrats to everybody involved on that. <clears throat> Next, we've got a call from Rob C. from the Down in a Heat podcast, one of the only podcasts I can stand to listen to, Down in a Heat. This is in reference to the final topic from last week, which was all about the statistics for the most successful Kickstarters, gaming-related Kickstarters of last year, and the complete and utter dominance of 5e. Take it away, Rob. Hey, Froth. It's Rob from Down in a Heap. That was an eye-opening final topic that you had last week, and... Uh just goes to show that five years like the Yankees and Dodgers rolled into one or the Patriots or the Lakers or whatever sports equivalency. It was also noteworthy, I think, that they point out how it's reminiscent of the 3E and D20 glut and fall, but now all the risk is being passed on to the consumer via crowdfunding. Um, but yeah, uh, I think you should maybe do a 12v12, uh, I don't know, maybe Zine Quest 4 or something. <laughs> and like that uh, 
article had. You could do a an LP release to it uh, with a get get the band back together. Maybe you could get uh, Tim Tico shorts to get behind the drum kit. Support you. See ya. Rob C there from Down in a Heap, and yeah, maybe you could call Five E the Yankees, but only if everybody else is like the Bad News Bears. You know, it's complete domination. It's like yeah, if Five E, you know, Five E is like Michael Jordan in his prime against me with food poisoning. <laughs> does not mean that that everything else isn't you know that there's not great stuff there is it's just it's almost like you have to look at it as D D being something like a whole an entirely different animal an entirely different hobby than everything else in fact that's probably the way to look at it as a creator and everything else um i, I think we talked about that in the past, but I mean, you know, the numbers don't lie and it's just, it is what it is. And, you know, my mom's heard of D and D she has never heard of, and will never hear of Numenera. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but anyway, as far as 12 E 12 goes, that is a reference to a game I've been working on. <clears throat> it's coming along. I've put a rough draft up for, for people on my Patreon and I'm still tinkering with it a little bit, but I quite like it. I want to, put it out as a pamphlet game at some point, but you mentioned doing it as a Kickstarter. And this is where I was going to mention this later with the zine club stuff, but I want to go ahead and say it and <clears throat> prompted by you about it. I have got so much respect for everybody that did something for zine quest because I've been hearing, I, I, there's a little fatigue going on now. You know, I feel it in the wallet, but I see people are getting a little bit tired of all the talk being zine quests, people are getting a little exhausted with self-promotion. You know, there are some people that are, are naturals at that. Some people that feel comfortable doing it. Some people that don't feel comfortable doing it, but no matter who you are, everybody's getting a little fatigue from it. You know, I've seen people that are, you know, doing great work. Their stuff is successfully funded and, and, you know, they're, they're sick of it. You know, it just, it's, uh, it's a lot and it puts, a, you know, it, it kind of dominates the conversation, sucks all the air out of the room. And then you've got folks that, uh, you know, some people's stuff has done really well. You've got other people's stuff that's maybe, you know, struggling a little bit to get over the line or maybe doesn't get over the line. But I wanted, what I wanted to say is to whoever you are out there listening, if you have a project, whether it did, you know, funded, whether it didn't fund or whatever. I think you are a rock star, whoever you are, for for having the courage to do it, for jumping in, jumping off that cliff and doing it. And just because something doesn't fund doesn't mean it isn't awesome. Because I'm, for me, it's like impossible choices. There are so many good things, so many people whose stuff that, you know, I almost don't even care what they release. I would just want to support them. I wish I had all the money in the world to fund everybody's stuff for them. You know what I'm saying? But I have so much respect for people and it might not mean a lot to come, you know, come from random froth on the, you know, on the internet, but I just want people to know how much respect I have for them.
for having taken that chance. And even if something doesn't fund, I hope people, if, you know, if for some reason it doesn't, I hope people find another way to put it out there because it does not mean that your stuff isn't, isn't awesome. It just means that there's almost too much awesome at once. You know, it's like a double-edged sword. There's so much good stuff coming out that you probably are going to get some eyes on your stuff that wouldn't necessarily be there if you just kind of ran your Kickstarter in September or something, you know? A lot of people are seeing, you know, there's a lot of eyes on it. But at the same time, there's so many things that people are having to make a lot of hard choices because very few people out there are made out of money. So it's just a, it's a tough thing. <clears throat> so anyway, I, you know, I'm just a consumer. I, you know, I, I got respect for the people who put this together. I mean, even just getting your pre-launch page together is like a boiler room situation because you've got to have <clears throat> to, to hook people in, you got to have an image down and then you got to have one sentence that just, <laughs> you know, grabs people. And there, there's a real art to doing that. And, um, but anyway, so just a lot of respect for all the creators out there for taking a chance, uh, without a doubt. So <clears throat> now I've got something kind of special. This is almost like a little mini podcast within the podcast. But a, a few weeks ago, I was talking about over at Wayne's Books, they got a first and second edition box of the old SPI Dragon Quest game from way back, I believe in like 1980 <clears throat> was the first edition. And I asked people if anybody had played it or you know really knew anything about it to call in. Didn't hear anything, not surprised. It's kind of one of these games that <clears throat> it's almost like uh, uh, you know a city, an ancient city that's been built on top of another ancient city on top of another. That's like the history of gaming. And there's so many games that are kind of forgotten or, you know, but sometimes these games will have a small but avid group that loves them and keeps them alive. And I was really happy to hear from Roger Thorne, who uh, I'm, I'm going to let them speak for themselves, but they are an enthusiast of this game. Somebody whose blog and stuff I've been following for you know, for years, they are a big enthusiast of the game and they were good enough to send me some MP3s describing, you know, that kind of their history of the game, what's going on with it, as well as a bunch of links. So I've got links to their site as well as a bunch of stuff on Dragon Quest. This game is being kept alive, not unlike, you know, folks uh, keeping Star Wars D6 alive or TSR Marvel superheroes, but there is a, a group that is keeping Dragon Quest going. And so uh, I thought this would be really interesting for folks to listen to about the history, you know, a little bit, a little history lesson here, a little added bonus. So I'm going to let Roger take it away now. Hey, Frost, this is Roger Thorne. I'm responding to your inquiry about the SPI game Dragon Quest which I've been playing for decades. My group started playing shortly after it came out. And uh, I've been a fan for a long time. I've been involved with setting up the uh, online Dragon Quest newsletter, which was running in the 90s and early 2000s. And I have a small press, Anthrowick Games, that 
produces a couple of adventures and a rules supplement. And I've been pretty much had my hands in participating in online stuff about Dragon Quest since I got online. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty deeply steeped in it, and it's a pretty great game. Some of the things that we liked about it at the time, uh, as compared to AD&D, which is what we had been playing, um, it's more realistic in the sense that even a heroic character is pretty vulnerable to a couple of low-level attackers. Um, you don't have the kind of invulnerable characters that you could build up who are, you know, 10th, 12th level D&D. You have so many hit points that you're just uh, effectively a, a hit point shield. Um, this has a much narrower range. And so even if you're a pretty powerful character, you still have the risk of um, things going badly. And that was an appealing thing. Uh, the character creation uh, works with just a pool of points. You roll dice to get a, a number of points, but you're working with between, I think it was mid 80s to mid 90s. Um, and then the the fewer points you had, the higher point number of points you could put into your characteristics. And you had six characteristics that were similar but not the same as D&D. &D. Um, and with that, uh, you can set up the kind of character that you want to play. If you want to play a fast, nimble, sneak around sort of character, then you put points into agility. If you want to be a, a strong, axe-wielding barbarian type, you put up your points into strength. Uh, if you want to be an adept in a college of magic, you put your points into magic aptitude. But there are no restrictions on the skills and abilities that you can have. Um, every character has the potential to be a magic using type. Uh, you just have to have enough points in your magic aptitude to be able to study one of the colleges. Um, the skills and the colleges of magic and even the weapons abilities are all ranked individually. So unlike Again, D&D, &D where you ha if you're fifth level, all of your abilities are at fifth level. In Dragon Quest, you could become a level two assassin and leave it at that and never advance that any further. You had a little bit of ability to be an assassin, and that was good enough. Um, but there are no restrictions in terms of if you have studied... Uh, as a fighter, then you can't be a magic user. Everything is open in that sense. Um, there's also, I, I think something that was very appealing was that the all the, the, the different skills and knowledge was 
seemingly organized. Um, that there's a progression. There are advantages of learning with a teacher, and there are a number of things in the rules that imply organizations that colleges of magic just by the name of that implies that there's a hierarchy and it's a little bit more uh, late medieval renaissance kind of setting it always implied to me at least as a possibility as opposed to the kind of low uh, early medieval kind of setting that D&D &D always suggested to me. There are no classes in Dragon Quest, so a character will have a few or several weapon abilities as the player sees fit, and those are ranked individually so that you can become very proficient with one weapon and have minimal ability with others or spread it around more. And then there are 12 different colleges of magic in the original game. You can only be a member of one college of magic and each one has a different flavor. There are colleges based on the elements so there's a College of Fire, College of Earth, College of Air. There are Colleges of the Mind and Illusions and Ensorcelments. There are Colleges of Black Magic and Necromantic Conjurations and Greater Summonings, which deals with interacting with demons, who the Game Master gets to play as malicious NPCs, and that's always a great deal of fun. The skills that are available are pretty varied as well. There are things like assassin and thief and spy, but there are also things like alchemist and mechanician. There are things like military scientist and navigator and Beastmaster. So a much wider range of ways of interacting with the world and different angles on abilities that the characters have. So it was far richer than what early AD&D allowed for. I think that later versions of D&D with some of the skills and abilities picked up things like that, but uh, Dragon Quest was doing this in the early 1980s. I think that overall what really made Dragon Quest so appealing was that the characters were more human and relatable um, by not having super powerful characters and although the characters in DQ can certainly become powerful, but they don't become the kind of cartoonishly overpowered sorts of characters that you can get in D&D. &D. And that was very much an appeal at the time, and still is. I think it makes for 
a wonderful game system, and I've enjoyed playing it for a number of years. If anyone wants to get in touch to find out more about Dragon Quest, I'm at Antherwick on Twitter, and my blog is rthorm.wordpress.com. I also have the Anthwick games on drive-through RPG and there are a few adventures and one set of added rules for Dragon Quest that are available there. So I am just so thankful to Roger Thorm for taking the time to put that together for everyone and sending it my way so that we can all learn a little bit about this, you know, this, this, this old game dragon quest. And what I love is that, uh, I love that despite, you know, a lot of people maybe never hear having heard of it or having heard dragon quest, but having heard of a video game that came out years later and not actually this, but I love that people like Roger are keeping these games alive. And all the work that you have done over the years to keep it alive is just fascinating to me. Again, I've got links to everything Roger mentioned. Something else that they emailed me to say is that uh, they wanted to give a shout-out to Snafaru, who has been hosting the Dragon Quest Index, a list of all published materials, stuff from Ares Magazine, other gaming magazine articles. Basically, if it's a published item for Dragon Quest, They've collected it there. And um, so there's a Dragon's Quest Players Association. There's um, all the sites that Roger talked about. If you want to reach out to them, if you're interested in it and and uh, products they're putting out for it. And I was just so impressed. And um, I just thought that was fantastic um, stuff to hear from you. I, I also really liked one of the things that jumped out at me when you're describing the game was the schools of magic a lot of those sounded really cool the different colleges of magic sound really uh interesting where i'd like to to you know read i'm gonna get on some of these links and read some of the spell lists and stuff you know it's like um, jason had called in earlier about stealing spells stealing magic items and stuff uh so i bet there's some cool spells and items and stuff to to steal from some of those colleges so Anyway, Roger, thank you so much. And I've got all those links up for people to check out. Last couple of things before we get going. I always love to give a shout out to brand new bloggers when I spot them. And we got a brand new one, Xenio, over at the Xenio in a Bottle blog. Xenio in a Bottle.blogspot.com. Just a couple of posts so far here in February. Welcome to the blogosphere. Then I want to give a happy anniversary to Daddy Rolled a One. Daddy Rolled a One.blogspot.com. 10 years of daddy rolled a one. So that's Martin R. Thomas's blog. Congrats on 10 years of blogging. And then I wanted to give a shout out to Larry Hamilton from follow me and die, not just the follow me and die.com blog, but follow me and die stuff on drive through and here follow me and die YouTube. They have uh, reached 1000 YouTube subscribers, which is quite a milestone. And I wanted to give a shout out to Larry. I've got a link up to take folks over there so that y'all can check it out and see what Larry's doing. So congrats to whether you're a new or older new blogger. Uh, 
if you're hitting a that you know a milestone on your youtube channel congrats to all y'all and uh and once again thanks to everybody for calling in maps of the week all right let's get into the maps always like to start with the maps because it is a respect thing it is showing respect to the cartographers uh letting them know how much i love their stuff you know for years they just didn't get the love they deserve now we, we try to give the cartographers a lot of love over here at, on the hump day rpg show so starting with this post it's more like a mapping philosophy post and this is over at the dragons never forget blog dragons never forget wordpress.com interesting post we've lost our way when it comes to maps have you picked up a mainstream rpg book lately did you look at the map inside it's depressing all of the maps that we now use look the same uh we stopped being interesting in favor of being standardized. And uh, so, yeah, and so, you know, they, they make a point to to not be insulting anyone in, in particular, you know, and not meaning it this so much as an insult, as it really is more of a celebration of kind of like older maps. They, they talk about, look at these maps that once graced the end papers of the books that inspired our imaginations. And they have a series of, of cool maps up like from a nursery rhyme land an old book from 1925 and and some other stuff i put one of the uh images up on the blog now i don't know if this is as true for a lot of diy gaming where there's a lot of care given to the maps and some of the stuff is just incredible but it is a fair point that uh, in comparison with some of the stuff you were seeing in, in children's books and these other books years and years ago uh that everything has kind of gotten a little samey a little samey when it comes to certain games um so in, you know the main thing i wanted to point people over to is to look at some of these cool old maps from old books but it all is also something to think about you know has 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 cartography in, in a lot of the cases gotten so uh you know gotten too similar are we afraid uh, you know are some uh, people managing projects afraid to to do something really unusual and uh, you know I think there there's a fair point there so go and check that out that's at dragons never forget wordpress.com <sighs> killer map from isometric worlds I mentioned that uh, these folks um, doing these incredible isometric maps and and linked over their patreon a few weeks ago saw another one from them that I had to share I think they shared this over on reddit I've got a link to their patron. You can check it out. It's kind of like this cool, like uh, factory or something. And uh, I just, you know, uh, I, I think that their work is just magnificent. So check that out. And then another cool, like battle map style thing. I haven't shared any kind of just straight up battle maps in a while. This one is like a multi-layered. Uh, it's got like three floors of like a, a wizard's college. So you can see, you know, the insides of each different floor and it's all stacked together on one map. This is done by Tom Cartos, who also has a cartography Patreon up. So be sure and go and check that out as well. Zine Club. All right. So I am thrilled to have joining the program today one of the creators of the new Zine Quest 3 Kickstarter projects, Trash Planet. Epsilon 5, Alabosk, 
welcome to the club. Hello, Frotho. Nice. Thanks for having me. Well, it is my pleasure to have you. I first want to congratulate you because uh, at least as of this recording, you know, you're over three times yeah. your funding goals. So that is great. Absolutely uh, blown away by that. It's crazy to me. <laughs> well, and there's still going to be uh, several days left when people are listening to this to check it out. It, it looks really cool, very unique, and we're going to get into that and talk about it some. Yeah. But uh, first... I like to ask folks their zine origin story. So if you could let me know what the first zines you saw were that you can remember and were they gaming related? So I, I sort of like, I think when I, I first kind of discovered zines were like a real proper thing, really with the sort of OSR indie scene that I discovered. Um, uh, that's when I started to like properly buy them and I was like uh, really getting into all these different creators putting together these really awesome like uh, you know scenes that people put together um, but thinking about it like when I was like really young like uh, I remember like, being really into <laughs> creating like stupid little uh, uh, tiny little paper zines that I put together just like the sort of a little tiny A5 things that I just carry around and use for drawing and things and I'd be uh, really obsessed with like making those uh, you know it's really pretty and and, and neat as I could when I was like, I guess like five or something. So I think I've always been a bit creative. And I also remember when I was in year four, which I think is third grade in American uh, world, um, my school had this like really weird push to, to get kids to be more creative. Um, and we were being made to like, you know, we did some weird like music writing and making weird art pieces. And one of the things that really stuck to me, stuck out to me is the, the sort of paper crafting that we did. We did loads of like, our own pop-up books um, and and stuff like that, um, and I, I remember like outside of school getting really into doing that myself. Um, and put, I remember putting together this like really cre like crazy intricate Pokemon themed uh, uh, like basically a zine that I, I distributed amongst my my friends. So um, while I, I have really I, I never really encountered the sort of zine scene that much when I was. Um, when I was in sort of my into my later life, but I've definitely been into the creative uh, sort of little magazine creating uh, stuff since since I was young. Uh, yeah, your origin story is you started them yourself. <laughs> I guess I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> well, uh, the project looks great. You're working together with Jacob Hurst on this. That is pretty well known for their one of the more successful kind of DIY old school inspired projects of the last few years, the uh, swordfish islands. How did y'all hook up on this? So, so I just basically reached out of the blue. So I, I've been following like, yeah, the um, swordfish islands. Um, I was a huge fan of, of silent Titans and um, super blood harvest as well, which, which uh, Jake has, has put out. Um, so I've, I've always been a, a fan of all the stuff that the swordfish islands puts, puts out. Um, and when when sort of the you know, the kind of idea for this project came to, came to me, I was, I was working on it um, uh, initially, and I was thinking about you know making this into a print product because so this is the first sort of print proper print product I've I've worked on. And when I was really thinking about you know who, how I'd want this printed, I, I was really focusing on you know, quality materials, making sure it was you know really usable at, at the table and things like that. And I, and when I was thinking about the kind of people that I'd want to to do it for me, like Jacob came to mind like 
first thing right he was the uh, the, the stuff he's put together in the past i was like if, if i wanted someone to make this i, I probably wanted to be him because it's, it's it's uh he, i think he produces some of the some of the best sort of stuff in the in the in the beers really um so i just reached out to him um <laughs> we were an email uh and kind of forwarded onto a sort of a, a temporary or a setup uh itch page and we're just like does this look interesting to you? Do, do you think you could? Uh, it would be be something that's kind of along your lines. Like I, you know, I, I figured he, he might have some sort of interest because it's the system being electric bastion land is uh, is one that he's a, a few of his uh, projects uh, use that rule set as well. So I figured it, it kind of fit nicely along his product line anyway. Um, and I was absolutely floored when he did actually get back in touch. Um, uh, and yeah, we've been chatting since for a, for a few months now, talking about uh, yeah, getting this set up, and then we sort of sorted out the zine quest, and yeah, the rest is is I guess history at this point. You know, that is really cool because it it it's an important lesson I think for anybody to learn is that sometimes you just need to ask, you oh, know, yeah. to make things happen, and it's almost like uh, like in sales jobs, like or in, in a lot of different jobs, people kind of have this negative internal voice that can talk yourself out of things when sometimes all you need to do is ask, you know, and, and, and awesome things can happen. So that's really cool. Yeah, I definitely think, yeah, if anyone else is out there and, and they're putting together things like, and they, even if you don't think, necessarily think this thing is the, the greatest thing you're, you've made, like, you know, just just ask the question like getting getting other people's input and, and asking is there's nothing you, you can't lose anything you're never going to destroy relationships or things just just by asking so go for it so you mentioned that this is for electric bastion land which for listeners that might not be familiar that is kind of like the evolution of another kind of neo osr game into the odd by chris mcdowell why did you decide to use that as the system and is the zine are you able to, to to use the zine without being familiar with that or how does that work so um i'm very much of the sort of school of thought with with you know osr and sort of indie indie games to that i'm almost of the system system doesn't matter kind of perspective um in the, or at least it doesn't matter as much. I don't, I don't think. And I like to make, at least when I'm making content, I like to make it so that you could run it with anything. Um, so definitely, I would say, yeah, the majority, ninety percent of the content that is in Trash Planet Episode Five is 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 basically system neutral. Um, yeah, it's it's setting descriptions, it's monsters, it's treasure. Like that's pretty universal to all kind of these kind of games. Um, but there is, I've definitely baked in a few bits from sort of the into what into the odds um, electric bastion land sort of uh, system that I really like and I really triggered off of, uh, which is why I chose it sort of thing. So when when I was first thinking of the of putting this thing together, it did initially come to me as a sort of um, a well self-contained sort of adventure and 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 rule system because I, I wanted to combine those things because I think that's that makes it more usable and more more likely that people are actually going to use it, right? Um, so, so one of the things that really got me is the the, the packages. I don't know if if you're familiar with them, but the um, the way that you create characters in National Fashion and then in, into the odd is that uh, you roll your stats. You just have three basic stats: strength, uh, dex, and charisma or will, depending on the edition. Um, and then you just get some stuff. So, like you get like you know just general stuff that's in your backpack. Um, and one of the things that I think that really, really, I think got me to run Silent Titans, uh, which is another one based on uh, uh, Electric Bastion Land, was the fact that the these sort of character packages 
were really evocative, like short descriptions for, for these really quite iconic character concepts, but they were really still very vague and that people can uh, just, you know, players can take that and, and make it their own and run with it. And, and you know, the two, two different players can get the same uh, package and, and go in totally different directions with it. Um, and I found that was really, really useful to get the players invested in the setting, but also um, just just to make inter more interesting characters that suit the setting better. Um, and so that's that's one of the major things. So one of the things that Trash Planet does is it does have those like sort of nine key character concepts that people can, that, that players will run with that fit really intricately in the setting, but are still really quite malleable for players. And I think that's a really, really useful thing to get get the thing to the table, which is what I was trying to get with with this adventure. Well, you know, cool products definitely need cool titles, and you definitely got that Trash Planet Epsilon <laughs> Five. So, what? Uh, so, what's it all about? If you had to describe what the zine's all about to somebody, what would you tell them? So, it's described as like sort of a rules light, old school sci-fi zine. I like I like the idea that it's a, a, a cyberpunk, a cyber junk space hack of Electric Bastion Land. In that. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thing is set on on this place called Trash Planet Epsilon Five, which is um, effectively a massive sphere of coagulated space junk that has been sat uh, in in space uh, gathering trash for who knows how long, like centuries, maybe maybe longer. Um, set in this sort of far future where it's it's a mix. I, li I like to think it's quite a good place to set sort of any sci-fi game because. Um, the, the whole concept being that it's a amalgamation of a bunch of different, you know, the, the trash of, of hundreds of generations of different civilizations, right? So it could be, you know, you could be setting in some uh, dystopian cyberpunk uh, game, or you could be some, you know, far far future idealistic sci-fi as well. Um, so so yeah, your your adventurers uh, that that arrive here. Um, looking to to pay off a, a debt which they've accumulated from escaping a, an old tragic life um and you you're you're diving down into the different layers of the of the sphere of garbage to, to try and find some some useful treasure to to, to sell and, and pay back pay off your debt so the whole idea being it's it's really really self-contained like you can you can start this um from from nothing or you come at it with some existing characters um it could be a good uh, thing to start a you know larger campaign from, or you could run it as a single session, single sort of uh, contained one shot, which I think is I, I would hope one of the strengths of what what is providing. Well, it is a really cool setting. There's no doubt about that. One of the things I noticed your part of the Kickstarter is to raise funds for some art from Gabriel Hernandez, who's done some amazing work with Jacob before on um, Hot Springs Island and everything. Uh, tell me about the decision to work with them for the art. So when I first put this together, um, I'd put to, some art together myself. I'm, I'm no artist. I, I'm very jealous of anyone who can who can draw things because um, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the skills I, I just don't have when it comes to, to putting this kind of stuff together. Um, so I, I had some sort of stuff I'd put together with Creighton Commons, um, stuff I'd found uh, and collaging a bit, um, which I think suited the theme very well. But when I when I took it to Jacob, uh, one of the initial things he was saying was that, that if we can get some money behind this, then we can get some really cool art for it. And I was obviously ecstatic to hear that. Um, and yeah, when he suggested Gabriel, I was um, I was I was absolutely 
small because I, I obviously I've seen his work in Hot Dungeon and Team of Black Sand, um, so I've seen what he can do. Um, but obviously, he hasn't really done sci-fi stuff before. And I think one of the things that really attracted him to Arkham's Project as well was because it's an opportunity for him to to explore that kind of stuff. So um, he put together that first sketch, which I think you see of the what we call the Junker on the uh, Kickstarter page, and I was just like, yes, yes, this is exactly it. Um, I was just so so impressed with how much he'd like just got the setting immediately from just reading what I provided, which was really exciting to see. Um, and then he, another one of the sort of my favorite pieces, which I, um, I don't know if you see in the Kickstarter, in the Kickstarter itself, he's done a, a really cool full page spread of um, the, the, the planet surface itself and the, and the space elevator you come down on. And when I saw that one, I was like, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, it was like exactly how I'd imagined it. So, um, I'm I'm really really pleased with, with what he's been together, and hopefully um, if the Kickstarter does well, which should, to be fair, it's doing pretty well uh, so far. So I'm I'm pretty sure we can we can we'll be getting some more up from him. Um, we can get things like character designs for some some smaller character sheets and things. So um, I think yeah, I'm really excited to see what else he can produce for this thing because uh, I think it'll be some cool looking stuff. Yeah, it's such a you know, it's almost like you know. To, to really stand out or really to just to make your product the best it can be. It's almost not enough to have a killer idea. It's the layout and the art is such a big part of it. And uh, your the layout looks fantastic for this as well. I'm going to have some images up um, with the accompanying blog post of this so people can take a look at it. But the whole thing, the whole package looks like it's coming together really nicely. So congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, layout was definitely another one of the things that I'm, really keen on for for user usable adventures right uh, i think you know it's yeah like like you say um you, it's not just enough especially these days with the amount of amazing content there is out there um it's not enough to just just be a, a cool a cool adventure you you need to present it in a efficient and and pleasant way um and i think that that i i hope that that's what trash planet provides as well so yeah i'm really pleased to hear that that's uh, that's good to hear, good to hear. Yeah, I think it's that so many of the people creating stuff are also, you know, really running a lot of stuff. You know, I read these accounts of old TSR and stuff, and a lot of the the creators and everything, you know, they started off gaming, but as it became their job and everything, more and more they're just, you know, writing books. Even like Gygax was barely, you know, playing as much or anything, but with the kind of people that are, are making things now there's there, there's so much gaming involved they know what works and what doesn't so we've seen these amazing leaps and bounds with the usability of of products and uh and you see a lot of that in zines as well that are just um like these amazing works of art in a small package you know just from from the design layout to content to everything else it's pretty amazing yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the really special things about zines, right? Is that you've got that you've got that scope. It can be sort of the almost the one man show uh, uh, take on it, right? Like you can, if if you've got someone who can who can do the a lot, they could produce some really like well weaved together um, projects. And because they're often quite short, the zines like you've got the scope to really you know, only provide the the sort of cream um, when it comes to what you're what you're making. So yeah, really really cool stuff. Well, that kind of leads me into the questions three. Are you ready for those? I think I am. I hope so. All right. So question one, what makes zines so magical? 
so to me i i do think it's that like uh the 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 fact that they are often quite quite small projects um and the fact that they can condense a bunch of often some of the best ideas that are out there um in the in the scene at the time um i think that they they do condense they give you like sort of the most dense uh collection of of ideas and and uh you know layout and art and content that you that you'd need to sort of run a game and to more importantly as well i think inspire you to run a game i think you know it's not just about um you know producing something that is usable but it needs to it needs to spark you with something that makes you think yes yes i want to run this like i'm desperate to get this to the table um that i i really think that's what that's one of the the, the, the major benefits of of these tiny little zines that we get to just spend all our money on and now i know you mentioned this is kind of maybe your first maybe major zine project or you know you kind of alluded to that but is there something you've learned you know whether it be in the the past with the stuff you're making as a child or other projects you've done is there something you've learned making zines that you wish you knew when you started um i uh hmm, let me think of that I guess it would be. I think it would be layout and, and your and your tools. I think when I first started putting things together, I remember. Uh, I think the first proper like OSR thing I put together was like a small uh, one page one page uh, uh, dungeon for the one page dungeon contest. And I mean, it was terrible thinking back on it now. But um, but like what I what I'd really not focused on for that is is learning my tool learning the tools i was using and and learning the importance of of information um layout and and how you display that to the person running it um so i i think i just used uh like scribbers to put it together and i'd uh just kind of plunk together a bunch of paragraphs about stuff and then put them randomly on the page but i didn't really thought about where that stuff was how the user would how, how like the um the, the GM or whoever would would read that in at the table and stuff like that, and I hadn't really considered that. Um, but but physically sitting down on a table and like sort of laying out in front of me, that really helps me visualize how I'm going to use it as a you know as a, as a person running it. Um, I think I think if there's one thing I would focus more on to start with, it would be it would have been that and learning how to do that properly. Well, it, it you know the images I've seen of this shows that you've learned from that because uh, you know this looks really really good. So, Thank so you. it's good to it's good to learn from things, and that that's why I always ask that question is because um, it's important for people to to the people that are thinking about making their own zines to get this kind of advice. You know. Okay, final question. Do you have a favorite zine? This is this is hard. <laughs> um, all right, uh, so there are a few over the years that I think I've got that have probably stood out as my favorite in just the terms of uh, actually getting them to the table and also them just being beautiful objects in themselves. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone had already stolen my one, which was going to initially be Bring Me Her Bones by uh duck deck well actually which is like a the games omnivorous series um i really like that just because it's an absolutely beautiful thing and it's totally out there in terms of what it actually does in it's like some crazy oracle system um 
set in like a, a city and stuff like that and i think i think that was really really cool um but i think if i was to actually pick the one because i've never really properly run that that zine but something that i have actually run um it's got to be uh the sort of um in the light of a ghost star which is produced by the gift to this hobby that is uh, nate tremay um i think that that zine like really opened my eyes to to how easy it is to to get into this kind of stuff like he produced something incredibly pretty and incredibly usable um, with no fancy equipment. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's from what I can tell you, he, he home printed it um, and it looks amazing. And it, and it, it is really, really fun to run. I've run that at conventions several times and it's been a blast every single time. So I would highly advise that one. Yeah, that's a solid pick. I've got a copy. Uh, love Nate's stuff. Um, had Nate on the show before and talking to them. They, uh, they're always doing something cool. So yeah, th those are good picks. And I believe it was James from crumbling keep that was talking about that other, um, yeah, that, that other friends. stuff. Yeah. So that's the second time I've heard about that. So that kind of is like the universe telling me I'm going to have to. <laughs> some money. Well, I just want to tell you again, congratulations on uh, the success of the Kickstarter, and I hope that it finishes strong for you. You've got a great team of people working on it with you and a really killer idea. So, folks, I've got the links up for you to check out Trash Planet Epsilon 5 for Electric Bastion Land. And Alabosk, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Thank you so much, Rob. It's been an absolute honor. All right. It was awesome to have Alabosk on the show. Like I was mentioning, I've got links up to the Trash Planet Epsilon 5 Kickstarter page. I've got links to Alabosk's itch stuff and also Jacob Hurst's Swordfish Island store where you can take a look at Silent Titans, the Hot Springs Island stuff, and a bunch of other rad stuff that they've done. Um, you might, depending on where you are in the world, you might want to check out some other storefronts, uh, you know, to, to help you on the shipping. You know, you might uh, look at Exalted Funeral and some other places so you don't get, you know, completely destroyed on the shipping. But all that stuff is really, really, really high quality. So be sure and check that out. As we start to get into the Zine Quest stuff, thought I would be sure and mention again, the best place to be following along with this is Pandatheist blog, Bonebox Chant. They've got, I've got a link up for you. They've, they've you know, they've got statistics, they've got what's coming up soon. You know, so far, just about 300 zines have have uh, been launched, uh, over a million dollars raised. So the thing is a runaway success. Check that out. And I've also got a couple of links up to um, some guest posts that they had. Amanda Lee Frank from um, uh, Vampire Cruise did one. And incidentally, I saw someone make a post, you know, they want to take Amanda's ZineQuest project from last year, which was I got a job on the garbage barge and make it like a space garbage barge and ride that thing, ride that thing straight to the trash planet Epsilon 5. So that's a mashup that's like, it's almost heartwarming. It sounds so awesome. So Joe DeSimone also doing a guest post over there. Uh, talking about Zine Quest is destroying their life, but it feels so good. It hurts so good. So, so anyway, go and check that out. And uh, big thanks to Pandatheist for continuing to to, to do uh, such great work, uh, keeping track of all this stuff. Something else I wanted to talk about, I follow Ava Islam 
over on Twitter and also their um, their blog permanent cranial damage permacrandam.blogspot.com they've got a zine quest project looks really good errant that has recently launched launched on the 12th so it's still running they have got a dream team working with them on this uh, Nick Whelan does the papers and pencils blog I've mentioned them many times doing the layout uh, they've got Gus L lazy Lich doing our DL Johnson did this ridiculous project got Gathox vertical slum um, and it's like a whole game and it looks really cool and I, I, Ava sent me some stuff to take a look at that the base mechanic is really interesting it's kind of a simultaneous roll under roll high kind of thing it's like a roll in the middle thing so uh, I'm not the best person to explain these things but you know people are used to maybe rolling under in some old-school games for skills but also rolling over a target number like a DC and in later games and so this is a combination of trying to hit that sweet spot where you're higher than one number but you stay under you know your uh, characteristic so I thought that was really cool kind of a roll in the middle thing I don't remember seeing that anywhere before but uh, some of the other stuff I saw Ava posting about it, it it's the only game this month with rules on setting up and running a fried cockatrice chain restaurant so you know that's kind of like a record skip moment like fried cockatrice chain restaurants you know <laughs> that, that gets everybody's head turning so anyway the thing is already uh funded but it's got uh, probably like a week to go by the time you're listening to this i've got a link up to that as well as this thing they did over this this site called card.co c-a-r-r-d.co that i've been seeing other folks put up kind of games on there where you can kind of input it and it has links. I don't know how this works. I need to check it out because I've seen some other people putting their games up. But it's got, uh, you know, some of the rules, maybe not the complete rules, but some of the errant rules already up there that you can take a look at to, to see what it's all about. Um, I've also got a link over to Nick Whelan's Papers and Pencils blog, paperspencils.com, where they're talking about the project and what they're doing on it. And then also uh, more on it over at Ava's Permanent Cranial Damage blog. So I've got all those links up. Project looks great. Got a really talented team working on the layout and the artwork for that. So be sure and go and give that a look. I also wanted to talk about um, Paul Vermeeren's Grid Shock 20XX again. Post over at the Dragon Skull blog. I'm sorry, Dungeons, forgive me. Dungeon Skull blog, dungeonskull.blogs. <laughs> oh, it's too early for my mouth to stop working. Come on. This is their blog over at dungeonskull.blogspot.com. And a couple things that I didn't know about this when I was talking about it like last week. Uh, for one thing, they've been working on this for years. This isn't something they put together just for, um, for ZineQuest. They've been working on this since 2016, so a lot of love has gone into this. And uh, there's also uh, it's more than one zine. It's like a it's like a combination. I believe it's like four zines for this. So this one's been kind of hovering around the halfway funded mark for a while, 
But uh, if synthwave superheroes kind of doesn't sound cool to you, you know, maybe skip what I'm saying. But if you want to go give this a look, uh, I'd love to try to turn some more heads towards this one. It looks like a lot of love and work has gone into this. And then, uh, they've been working on it since 2016. So Gridshock 20XX, uh, take a look at that one. What else do I have? I don't want to try to go too fast. I'll completely lose where I'm at. Oh, so uh, James from Crumbling Keep was on a, f a few weeks ago talking about their zine marching order. That has launched. I've got the Kickstarter page up for that. That one's doing well. It's, it's, it's already funded and everything. A lot of people looking at it. But uh, when we did the interview, it was still a couple of weeks away. So I wanted to make, people, make sure people knew that that one is up and running. What else do I have? Uh, over at, uh, at Steve, uh, um, uh, Steve C's blog, The Borderlands, dndborderlands.blogspot.com, Steve's dorky old school gaming blog. They've done a lot of cool zines in the past. Uh, they did the dice roll zines uh, one and two um, more recently. I picked up both of those. Now they're working on... Uh, Horrors of the Sepulchre with uh, Matt Jackson and Del Tegler. So great cartography and art you can expect from that. So that one's launched. Uh, so I've got a link over to them talking about that. And Hunter blogs over at DIY Dragons. Great blog. Uh, I really, you know, one of the things I love about Ann's blog is, uh, is the blog roll. It's kind of like mine. It's endless. Uh, sometimes I go over there and check it out and see if, if Ann's got any up there that I'm missing, you know. Uh, well, anyway, they put up a post. My friend's Kickstarters, and they're talking about Grid Shock. They're talking about one called Project 8-Ball and talking about Errant as well. So you can check that out. I saw a lot of posts on different stuff that was, by the time the show was coming out, would have already funded and been over. So I had to try to be selective with some of the stuff that I posted. Um, at the Archon's Court blog, Luther Gutekunst, um, they had done, I, I mentioned a, a, an interview they had did with a creator last week, and they've got two more up. They've got Kava, who is doing the Boots Full of Mud blog, I mean, uh, Zine Quest, an Overland Travel Procedure zine. And then Philippe Ricard, who did one I backed last year. They're doing, this year, they're doing Lethal Fauna Bric-a-Brac, a zine with 16 new monsters. So a couple of interviews you can check out over at the Archon's Court blog. What else do I have? Uh, Daniel Perez blogs over at DanielHighMoon.com. And this one has a few days left, that through-hiker journaling game I was talking about, telling stories of long-distance hiking. And they've got a little post about their inspiration for writing that. I think these journaling games are interesting. Uh, and uh, Ray Otis over at the Viridian Scroll blog. Now, this is not uh, ZineQuest. That's all the ZineQuest stuff that I've got this week. But this is just some other just zine-related stuff. They did a review of the Vaults of Varn zines. I believe there's a one and two out for these. And it's a very positive review. And coming from Ray, that's a huge compliment because Ray is incredibly gifted uh, when it comes to just RPG design in general and especially zines. So viridianscroll.blogspot.com looking at Leo Hunt's Vaults of Varn. And then finally, as far as the zine goes, and, uh, I can already tell my 
my presentation here is struggling. It's a lot. I'm doing my best. So give me a break if uh, if I seem a little rambling and discombobulated. I'm hanging on for dear life, as, uh, and we're not even to the random tables. But anyway, this was cool. The Merry Mushmen who do knock. You know, I was talking about this knock kind of digest compilation of blog posts. Not really as, you know, if you're going to... I don't want to get an argument of what's a zine and what's not. It's a really nice digest magazine and call it what you will. I'm putting it under the zine stuff. Um, I don't have time for arguments about meaningless stuff, <laughs> but anyway, it was really, really good. And what it, it does is they, they take old blog posts that people have you know submitted and they you know, really elevate it, like I mentioned, to like high art. They're reformatted, uh, add full color, add great artwork, really glossy paper. I mean, these things are super nice. Well, they've got to post up their permanent call for contributions. Now, some people might say, ah, I'm not working for, uh, what is it, exposure. Well, that's not what this is. You don't have to give them anything new. You know, if if you've got, you know, a blog post you like from five years ago that's just been sitting there and you want to send it to the Mushman to put in this digest, I think that's the kind of exposure that people would want. You're not doing any new work. It's it's work that you already did. This is just helping it reach other people. And and trust me, um, the, it, it, they, they're going to make it look as good as it possibly can. So I think this might be interesting to a lot of people. They uh, are especially looking for people that um, are maybe underrepresented and everything. So uh, I've got the link up for people to check it out. I think it's a great opportunity. I almost forgot to tell y'all what new stuff I've backed. So like I mentioned, I'm kind of slowing down a little bit. It's getting real tight, real tight. Uh, so I've only backed another couple of things. Um, since we last talked, but they both look really awesome. One's called, I'm sure you're all wondering why I've gathered you here. And it's kind of, it, it ties in with some of the stuff we've been talking about over the last few weeks, like Agatha Christie mysteries and clue and everything. It's like a, a mystery deal. And the artwork really captures that feel of the old PBS mystery series. I forget the name of that artist, but they, they're really great. Um, and I'm just, I'm not going to try to look it up right now. I'm, I'm having to record on Discord right now. Oh, I'm going to do it anyway. Edward Gorey. Edward Gorey. So, yeah. So, the artwork gives me that feel. So, and it just, you know, I'm a sucker for mysteries anyway. So, I'm sure you're all get wondering why I've gathered you here. I backed that. And then I backed the Very Good Dogs of Chernobyl. And this is one where it kind of scratches two itches. One, I've talked about trying to back something unusual. So you're, you play a dog in this, a dog in the Chernobyl zone that is fighting off weird uh, horrors and everything else. I don't, you know, the hook was enough. But what else is uh, maybe back that is I just got done watching Chernobyl on HBO. Oh, rough show. God, rough, rough. I know it's not 100% historically accurate, but uh, intense. 
intense show, especially the stuff with the animals. Really, really rough. Um, not for everybody to watch, but uh, kind of just a, a fascinating piece of history, especially if you're of a certain age where you remember hearing about this happening and, and just kind of the lack of information and you know, the Cold War and everything was so so different back then. But anyway, the very good dogs of Chernobyl, that is one that, uh, that I had to back. So those are the ones that I have backed. Okay, some of the ones I still have saved that I have not already mentioned. Before Fire, the comedy Cave Dweller RPG, where you play as like a, an old caveman. Um, yeah, maybe an acquired taste, but uh, I like it. It's only halfway funded. Maybe other people don't find it as amusing as me, but Before Fire, the comedy Cave Dweller game, Still looking at this uh, lighthouse at the edge of the universe as maybe being the journaling game I back. In the light of a faded world, this one looks cool. Uh, like, as small forest creatures, you explore a world reclaimed by nature. It's from Derek Kinsman. That one looks good. Still looking at Dungeons on a Dime's Scurry. Normally, if I had, you know, if I had the means, all these would have already been immediate, immediately backed. What else have I got in my saved that, that that don't show up there for some reason? Oh, Demonology. This one looks interesting. It's like a historical game where the sessions are set up like seances, and you're you're playing these inquisitors in the 1600s. Uh, the only reason I haven't really backed that one yet is because they mentioned that these zines are a precursor to like a, a full game later. So I might just wait on the full game for that. Uh, there's one called The Barrier and the Sound from Jay Walton that's a journaling game with um, pixel art that looks kind of like old, you know, Game Boy, um, you know, video game kind of quality. And it, it, it looked really interesting to me, The Barrier and the Sound. And then another one called The Network 23 RPG that is kind of like a, let me see how they describe it. Yeah, how about this description? No future cyberpunk. Cronenberg, Disco Elysium, techno music, utopian, subversive. This one looked like it had a lot of deep social commentary. It looked really good. Saving it, but I, you know, I can't back them all. So anyway, and there was one more that I'm looking at where you play uh, uh, psychics during the Cold War that hasn't launched. I forget the name of that one. So anyway, the only two that I've backed since we last talked was the, uh, the that mystery one and the one about the dogs of Chernobyl. But anyway, that's what I got as far as zines goes. Random tables. All right, let's roll on some random tables. I loved this idea. At the Benign Brown Beast blog, benignbrownbeast.blogspot.com. Whose blog is this? Let's see if we got a name. IEMCD. Anyway, the idea here is they, they mention at first the York Cathedral. Uh, being finished in 1472, but it was begun around 1220. So it was like 250 years of working on this project, an ongoing project longer than the life of any one person. 
So this is this huge project that's kind of constantly going on in that area, you know, with, you know, you know, bringing in specialists, materials from far away. And, you know, so the idea here is, you know, looking at it's random tables to sketch out a settlement defined by its largest ongoing project. So you're trying to find out what this project that's being, you know, built, you know, taking hundreds of years to be built or whatever. What is this huge ongoing project at this settlement that you happen upon? And I thought that was such a cool idea. Something you don't necessarily, I can't remember even seeing it in a game where you come somewhere and they've been building something for this long. I guess on Homlet they're building the keep and everything, but um, but it's not it's not a common thing. So So what is it that's being built? I love this idea. Oh, it's a palace. So this palace is taking taking a while to be built. Uh, let's see, how far along is it? Great idea. They've only got the foundations built. What's the holdup? Uh, an ill omen. Okay, yeah, that'll hold things up. Why build it? Uh, for defense. Who is building it? Refugees. Oh, that's no good. And what is a secret about it? Uh, the design is of occult significance. Okay, so maybe it's like facing east or something. Who knows? But anyway, really cool idea. Love that idea. It's over at the benign brown beast. And then the other random table I'm going to roll on is at the Nothic's Eye. And this is, whose blog is this? I do not have a name for this one. But anyway, the Nothic's Eye, 1D100 tiefling variances. So you're playing a tiefling, you know, combination human, hellion. And so this is given some different variances. And there's, a D, you know, 100 of these. So let's see. Uh, I'm going to roll a few of these and see what unique qualities I can give my tiefling here. Uh, let's see. Hard scales on the torso. Also got... I sweat sticky, stinging ooze. Doesn't bother me. It probably bothers other people. So I got hard scales. I got... I sweat ooze. And finally... I've got hollow bones. I'm very light and fragile. So a hundred of these things to give your tieflings a few variances. Hump day blogorama. All right. So how are we doing on time? Ah! <laughs> All right. Let's get into some blog stuff that I've spotted. Starting over at Haughty Fantasy Adventures, haughtyfantasy.blogspot.com. They have got, let's see if I got a name for the blogger, no name, but they are, they have started a series, part one, about the best D&D &D adventure designer ever. And so during the intro, they're giving their honorable mentions. And this includes people like Douglas Niles, Tom Moldvay, Zeb Cook, uh, Uh, Janelle Jacques, 
uh, I mean, a lot of really good people, Patrick Wetmore, Chris Tulak. Um, so some of the people are given honorable mentions to, it makes me think who is going to, you know, who are they going to call the best adventure designer ever? I don't know. But anyway, it's, it was still an interesting pose to see someone's opinion and they go through a lot of, uh, you know, good D and D adventure designers. And so I, it made me kind of be like, well, I want to see who they get to. So I'm kind of following along with that series. So it might be something you want to check out too over at haughty fantasy adventures. Then now this is over at the arcane eye blog, arcaneye.com. No name on this one, but they've got a post up D and D starter set versus essentials kit. And you might be like froth. This stuff has been out for a long time. Cause what it is, is kind of a comparison between the original five E starter set and the essentials kit, like the later starter set, but it is the best article. The reason I put it up is it's the best article, best post I've seen about both of them. Cause it compares them compares and contrasts what you get in them in a way that uh, no other post I've seen has done. And uh, you get to see the pros and cons of each thing. So while there may be a few listeners out there that haven't picked one of these up, you know, I don't know, maybe there is. Uh, if you are out there, this is where you want to go. If you're confused walking into Target or Game Shop or wherever they, they have these and you see them both and you're, you know, or you see both on Amazon or whatever, and you're trying to wonder which one to buy, this one will help you. What's interesting is, despite the starter set not having really character creation rules and just being, you know, starting with pregens, I still think that it's better overall. Hear me out, because it's simpler to get up and running and the adventure is better. I own them both. I've played through both adventures. Essentials kit is probably nicer production quality. And it's got more doodads and doohickeys with it. But if I was buying something for say like a 10 year old and had to pick which one I thought would be better for them, I'd probably go with the starter set, the original. Now, let's talk about the white box over at These Old Games. Nope, not that white box. Nope, not that white box either. Nope, not even that white box. This is a white box that I had no idea even existed from Atlas Games. This came out in 2017, and I think, you know, I've never heard of it, but hopefully you can still find these somewhere. But what this is, is it's a box that comes with counter sheets 150s wooden cubes in six colors you know all these kind of doodads and bric-a-brac and the idea is that this is about being, designing your own game like your own board game it's called a game design workshop in a box its purpose is to teach one how to make games now I was thinking about this and it's like huh I wonder if they were just trying to get rid of a bunch of stuff that they had for for board games or something that they never used, you know, but it really is a cool idea because, you know, have it being able to, you know, the, the money and trying to find where to produce this stuff and everything to make your own kind of, uh, 
alpha version of a game or, or demo version of a game or prototype of a game, you know, that kind of, that barrier almost might be discouraging somebody from, from trying to, to build something. So this has like kind of a lot of the standard sort of things you would need to, to buy and kind of make your own board game with it. So I thought this was really cool. This is uh, again, Phil V Verito over at these old games and this product is called the white box box set. Uh, maybe not the best thing to Google. Um, because you're going to see a hundred things, maybe look for Atlas games or just go over to the thought eater blog and, and check that link out over at the vintage RPG blog, vintagerpg.com. They do a podcast over there and they're talking about Dallas, the television role-playing game. Uh, one of those obscure, uh, one of the more, you know, bizarre games from TSR back in the day. So I thought people might be interested in that. You want to listen to what the Dallas, role-playing game is all about one quote was interesting it says uh the character and narrative based system was actually unlike just about anything else available at the time so maybe some mechanical gems hidden in the dallas game so check that out at vintagerpg.com this was cool i spotted this over at geek native andrew girdwood writing over there about a new site mindflayer.io a new site where you can look for online games and try to find a group. Now, if anybody's spent any time over at Roll20 trying to do this, it's horrible. People want you to write like essays and answer 40 questions. And, you know, I don't even bother with it. Uh, if, if I can't find to get in a game on Warhorn or whatever where you can just sign up, then I don't bother with it, or it's maybe something on a Discord. The, trying to find a game on Roll20 is just the absolute, it's the lowest, like, it's the most debasing, lowest kind of form of of, of, uh, of trying to find a group. But anyway, maybe this will be better. So anyway, mindflayer.io, if you're looking for a game group, it says it's not just for D&D either. There's all, you know, you can find other kinds of games. Something like this is really just as valuable as, you know, as <clears throat> how many people use it. So if it's something that catches on, maybe it can be a good resource for people. Uh, what else I got? John Peterson comes up a lot playing at the World Blog. They've been doing a lot of blogging lately and kind of support of their new book, The Elusive Shift. They've got an interesting historical post, Western Gunfight, the first RPG. This is a game from 1970, the Western Gunfight War Game Rules. But it adds some extra rules to it or suggestions um, that cross over into more into role-playing games instead of just a skirmish war game. And so the question is, was this the kind of like the first RPG? And it appears, you know, kind of by the by the definition, it probably was. And no one, hardly anyone has heard of it. Western Gunfight, read about it over at the Playing at the World blog. And then finally, a cool post from Matt Jarvis over at the Dicebreaker site, dicebreaker.com. The horror RPG Call of Cthulhu is bigger than D&D &D in Japan. You know, we were talking about how big D&D &D is. There are a couple places in the world where that's not true, Japan being one of them. Call of Cthulhu is, you know, almost like D&D &D is to other games here. And so there's some cool pictures of some of the pro products over there. I have seen some pictures from gaming shops over there where 
you know, Call of Cthulhu completely dominates everything. And I think that's awesome. I mean, I love that game, and I, I really think 7e in particular is a great achievement. I'd resisted it for a while. Did I already talk about this? Having deja vu, if not. But uh, a lot of the things, I, you know, I think they did a really good job with 7E. I'm finally, I'm, I'm definitely sold on it. But anyway, just a cool post about how uh, Call of Cthulhu is big in Japan. Free stuff. All right. So let's get into the free stuff. We all like the free stuff, right? Dr. Jonathan Newell, or the doc, as I sometimes refer to them over at bearded-devil.com has a post up the Sacred Cauldron Part 2. And they've been developing their Sacred Cauldron campaign and sharing some PDFs with some you know, adventurers and stuff like that. So this has also got the links up to kind of their setting rules as well as you know part one of this series. So they mentioned they might eventually further tidy this up and release them as zines or something, but uh, you know, I can tell you this, anytime you can get a free PDF from Dr. Jonathan Newell, you don't ask any questions, you just go and download it. This was cool over the Frugal GM, frugalgm.com, uh, a post about a new VTT called Albear Rodeo. And so it's free and they say it's not perfect, but, uh, you can basically just start a game. It gives you your own unique URL. You invite players with that URL, share a map, roll dice, and share audio. And then your data gets saved to your computer. And so the next time you use an URL, it just uploads that to it. I haven't tried it, but it sounds quick and easy to use. I'd love to see, I love seeing these different alternatives to Roll20 coming out. Of course, there's Fantasy Grounds, but it, you know the, the barrier to that one is the cost. There's another post here from Geek Native that's related about Let's Roll, another VTT that apparently is free to use, but the reason they're kickstarting it, uh, things like 3D dice and pub publisher partnerships and buying, you know, new map packs and whatever else, it, you know, pay, you know, helps it pay. But it's a web-based free-to-play platform. I'd like to see one of these have it where you can automatically kind of export a video of your session or something to make it easy to, you know, to put up a streaming game or whatever that might already exist on some of these things. But I was trying to look at how people do that with roll 20 and everything. And it's super complicated. Um, you know, I'm not talking about just like recording your own screen of just the, the roll 20 I'm talking about with the overlays and, putting that out to uh, Twitch and all that, I, my eyes started to blur and everything just reading about it. So I'd love to see some of these have really easy streaming uh, functionality. If that's something that already exists and someone knows about it, let me know. Anyway, check that out. Hodag RPG, gosh, talk about prolific. I was just talking about one of their things, uh, it seems like every week for, for weeks now. They've got a new um, pamphlet game, Hail and Well Met, a solo dice adventure game. You can download that for free at hodagrpg.itch.io. Over at Electric Bastion Land, that's been coming up a lot today uh, with the uh, 
Trash Planet Epsilon 5. This is Chris McDowell's blog. This has nothing to do with End of the Odd or Electric Bastion Land. This is about Grimlight, their kind of skirmish war game rules. And so that's up for a free download. You want to check that out. There is a new, I could have put this under the zines, but I didn't. There's a new issue of Cepheus Journal, issue number four. So all four of these are free downloads. Traveler continues to get a lot of free support. This is over at the Zodani base, zodani.space. Check it out. What else I got? Uh, yeah, over at the same as shark in Japanese blog, same as shark in Japanese.blogspot.com. They've got their game up called mall rats. This is by WaffleCon over there and you can, uh, download that. It's kind of glog related mall rats from WaffleCon. Check it out. What else? So I'm over at the foreign planets blog rook over here doing some interesting work. Sulfur and Snuff, a horror dungeon. Check this out, free PDF, download it. Interesting uh, uh, style, kind of a different voice over here from Rook. I'm digging it. Interesting to see what Rook, what, what other stuff Rook continues to do over here at the Foreign Planets blog. So this was cool. This is from Chaosium. It's a free download of the quick start for a new game called Upwind that has not been released. A role-playing fable of lost science, elemental magic, and uncharted skies. And so I haven't delved too deeply into this, but it's not using the basic role-playing engine. It's a completely different thing. But you can download the Kickstarter and check it out and see if it's something, uh, something you like. Looks like skyships and stuff like that. Upwind. And then finally on the free stuff over at Vance A's Lester's Ramble blog, lestersramble.blogspot.com. They grabbed a Matt Jackson map. Matt Jackson came up earlier talking about the uh, one of the zines. Does some good, uh, good mapping. And Vance A has taken that and made an adventure out of this. Uh... Let's see if it's got a title for the, uh, the your own ruined tower is the name of it. So pre, free PDF there. Check it out. The final topic. All right. So have you ever had an opinion that was so strong that while you knew, you know, your rational mind knows that it's completely subjective, it's just your opinion, but you feel so strongly about it that it's basically, it's your truth. Well, that's what the final topic is about. Puzzles and tabletop role-playing games. Puzzles. Puzzles suck. It was nice to see Cassandra and partners agreeing with me with their post, why we don't like puzzles in tabletop RPGs. Cassandra and partners.wordpress.com. Uh, they say, as you may have guessed from the title, we're not very fond of puzzles ap appearing in RPG campaigns. For one thing, they say they stop the narrative. 
Introducing a puzzle by necessity interrupts the narrative, usually for the entire time required for the GM to convey it and for the players to solve it. From the story point of view, nothing usually happens. They very rarely add to the world building in a meaningful manner and offer little opportunities to explore characters and their relationships. The story grinds to a halt. Completely agree. They divert attention away from role playing to problem solving. They say it is hard to do a puzzle that would be demanding but solvable. This is nails it. Oh my gosh. Takes the hammer. Nails it. Say puzzle design is a very difficult field and there are people who do that out of passion for a living. Unless the GM is one of them, it is quite likely that they lack the expertise to thoroughly design a really good puzzle that will be possible to solve in a reasonable time, but will also be difficult enough to feel rewarding upon solution and will not frustrate the group by its complexity. Nailed it. Nailed it. And then finally, they mentioned that they could be frustrating for the players, which is true as well. Now, I know there are, you know, puzzles and some adventures are not a new thing going way back. I mean, immediately, probably for a lot of people, uh, things like Tomb of Horrors come to mind. And Tomb of Horrors, with all of its kind of problem solving and, and that sort of thing, it's almost like you know what you're getting into because it's, it's kind of a lot of that. But... There's a reason I don't put that module in my even like top 20 of all time. Not a, not a huge fan. Don't hate it. Got no problem with the lethality of it. It's just, I, I don't enjoy it. But even more so than that, what this is talking about is when you're, you know, you have this whole adventure with a whole, you know, specific feel or whatever, and you get to some kind of big puzzle you got to do. Now, I don't necessarily have a problem with a riddle. If it's something that you can kind of quickly come up with and it's maybe something with flowery language or something to, to have a little riddle or something, it, something like that for flavor, you know, doesn't do anything special for me, but I don't ha necessarily have an issue with just a quick riddle thrown in. What I'm talking about is a big puzzle. It reminds me of this one session, in the 5e campaign. And now apparently this adventure, or this side adventure we're on is, is written by, one of the more popular 5e designers that I won't, you know, won't name. Because some people might like puzzles. I don't know, understand how. I don't, can't understand how someone would like puzzles. But anyway, the whole thing, it involved us getting like this sheet of paper and the grid and different symbols on the grid. And we, we try, everybody tried to think us what this could be. We had some new player, you know, newish players at the table, their eyes glazed over. They're all confused. Everybody was not engaged with it. Totally took us out of the game. Finally, it was just like, you know, after like 10 minutes of, of trying to solve this puzzle in any way, we were just finally just ran across the grid. Basically it was worth it to almost die and lose all this health and hit points to try to spend even one second more on that damned puzzle. Now, I do have a book that's called something like Maze of Games or whatever, and it's a puzzle book. It's a puzzle book. It's made to be a puzzle book. And that's, you know, and that's fine. That's where puzzles belong, you know. 
in their own books, in their own books. Now, I'm just wondering if anybody disagrees with me or if anybody strongly agrees with me. I don't know, but I just, I honestly, I cannot stand puzzles. If I see like a puzzle in an adventure, like it's some, you know, and I'm going to run the adventure, there's no question I'm skipping the puzzle, you know? The puzzle, the whole puzzle section is gone. There will be no puzzles. Puzzles suck. Outro. Oh, we made it. We made it. Huge show. Oh, I've been working on this one, recording this for hours. I've got to find a better way to do this than using Discord. But I did not have time to either research or even think about it this week. But that's neither here nor there. You don't care about that. You just want the free stuff, right? No, I'm kidding. I just want to thank folks for listening. I want to thank folks for calling in, in particular, Roger Thorne for spending the time putting that info together on Dragon Quest for everybody so that people can get a better understanding of that game. I want to thank Olabosk for coming by and joining the Zine Club and talking about Trash Planet Epsilon 5. I again want to say to all the folks that have launched something for Zine Quest on Kickstarter, you are rock stars having the courage and the drive to go through with that. And uh, I've got a lot of respect for all of y'all. I have got a special guest for next week that I will announce later, but it should be a really good conversation. Somebody that I was trying to set up and talk with uh, back before COVID hit, but I can tell you it's going to be, I'm excited about it. Very excited about it. Remember that all the links that I talked about are over at the Thought Eater blog. Remember that if you want to comment on anything on today's show, you go to anchor.fm forward slash Thought Eater. Click the message button. Let me know what you think about puzzles or anything else. I would love for you to support the show. If you want to do that, you go to patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. For as little as a dollar a month, less than four cents a day, you can support the Thought Eater programs. I have, uh, just like I've been doing recently under the outro tab, some kind of RPG comedy stuff for y'all to check out. Other than that, I am tired. I am done. Logan, take us away. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind.